Section 7 of The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. The Enchanter. The Enchanter stood by the sea, a great sapphire sea, a sea of glowing, vital movement. The sun beat upon it, but could not absorb nor penetrate its depths. The rains poured into it, but the sea rippled no deeper. Tempests pitched its waters shivering upon the beach, but the sea heaved the same, as full, as deep, as impenetrable, and as omnipotent. No one fell into this sapphire sea, and came back the same. Twas a marvelous sea. The enchanter stood by the sea at dawn. He stretched out his golden rod over its foam-flecked waters, and as the zephyrs played upon its glistening surface, a low murmur of music drifted from the far horizon. Wave and wave of melody vibrated over the sapphire sea, increasing in volume and sound till the air was full of music and all the sapphire sea thrilled in harmony. The enchanter murmured the words of the wonderful spell. And then, from out of the sapphire sea, arose a brave and lusty youth, like the famed Excalibur, the sword that rose from out the bosom of the lake. Clad was he in a shining red armor, with a flowing white plume in his helmet. Across his shoulders and fastened beneath his chin with a golden clasp drooped a robe of ermine, and in his hand he held a golden sword, and set in its haft was a blood-red ruby. Lightly he trod upon the sapphire sea. Joyously he sang as he nipped the sea-foam with his golden sword, and merrily the zephyrs tossed his flaxen curls and kissed his innocent cheeks. And laughingly he looked upon the sky, the land, and the sea. For life, pure and sweet, danced in his veins. The enchanter murmured the words of the wonderful spell, words that breathed of the dawn and the dew, softly coming and softly going, words afresh, with every day, white words that leave the world the sweeter for their music, sounds that came in dreams and visions, melodies that die away with the sunset. For the enchanter's mystic words bestowed the gift of love, love that makes the winter flower-sweet and sunny as the summer-time. Love 
that breaks through every cloud and unrolls a space of blue on the darkest of tempest-tossed days. "'Twas a wondrous enchantment that fell upon the brave and lusty youth. "'And then the enchanter vanished. "'Vanished as the parent bird leaves its young when wings grow strong and instinct guides their flight. But on the beach appeared a maiden, a maiden dark as night, with eyes like the azure of heaven and a brow like snowflakes. Dressed in snowiest robes was she, white Samite, mystic, wonderful. In her hand, glinting in the sunlight, she clasped a golden sword, rich with pearls and rubies, and all the haft twinkled with diamond sparks, myriads of topaz lights and jacinth work of subtlest jewelry. Laying her sword upon the youth's shoulder, she knighted him, Sir Love. Sir Love set out on a journey, long and difficult. But his heart was held in the hand of hope, and faith gazed out upon the world from his clear and innocent eyes. Far, far had Sir Love traveled, traveled in lands where the sun shines forever. But he grew accustomed to the sunlight and wearied of its warmth, its peace. He slept by the sapphire sea, and its waves laved love songs to his slumbering ears. But he tired of the music and of the sea. He roved in many a moss-spattered wold and dreamed by sparkling brooks in a bed of violets he nested his head and listened to the lyre of the wind. He dallied in meadows and chanted to the feathered throng, and again he returned to the sapphire sea. Twas all too beautiful, all too sweet. Sir Love got used to its peace and wearied and instinct guided his flight. Sir Love arose at dawn each day and turned his footsteps from the sapphire sea. One darkly clouded day, he came to a wide, smoothly flowing river. On the other shore gleamed a wonderful palace. Its windows flamed into the gray of the day. Thick forests surrounded it, forests somber even in the sunshine, and the low, hungry roar of wild beasts echoed among the trees and the rocks of the riverside. The night looked long and hungrily. Nothing daunted, Sir Love threw himself into the river. Twas icy cold. But Sir Love had dared, and he would do. And soon he had reached the other shore. 
Courageously he cut his way through the thickets, cut it with his golden sword. Sturdily did he defend himself from the wild beasts, but their blood spattered the blood-red ruby. And cheerfully did he gain the palace. But no one welcomed him. No one prevented him. Through long corridors, Sir Love betook his way. Gorgeous tapestries, unwritten poems in color and design, covered the walls, and rare rugs of wondrous weave and myriad hues softened his tread. Everywhere was luxury, gold and silver and bronze. The stairs were of varied marbles, quarried from all the world, each step a solid block. The tables were of jasper and malachite and lapis lazuli, supported on golden legs. The chairs were carved in fine old woods and inlaid with mother-of-pearl, and cabinets of teakwood and ebony, mosaic and crested with tortoise shell and precious stones, held the wondrous treasures of the palace. The odor of incense, mystic breath of the Orient, hung in sleepy vapors on the atmosphere. It permeated everywhere, fragrant of spices and sandalwood. Sir Love felt stupefied. Through suite after suite of magnificent rooms, glaring in their richness, enervating in their comforts, passed the straying night. The palace contained no chapel. In the banqueting hall was spread a festive board, viands set for gods. There sparkled gold things, and silver things, and fine glass, and in their midst a wealth of red poppies. Like a burning fire they flamed in the center of the table. There breathed spices from the garden of the dark-eyed Peary, fruit from the clime of the peach and orange blossom, wines from the vineyards of the world of secret distilling, a sumptuous feast of ambrosia and nectar, and a throne of ivory, of satin and velvet, stood empty. The knight hesitated, his eyes on the banquet, the incense heavy upon him. "'Twas a wondrous rich palace, but withal a lonesome palace. No friend called from the corridors, no sweet-eyed houri beckoned to the feast, no fair nymph invited to the throne. Yea, Sir Love hesitated, troubled by a dim, distant thought of the sapphire sea. And then he fled. Cast down by this vain experience, Sir Love set out again, 
Bravely, he wrestled with the subtle poison that had exhaled in the palace of luxury. It darkened his hope and his faith. The wild beasts had torn his tender flesh, and the briars of the thicket had brought blood. For many days, Sir Love wandered on, restlessly, heedlessly, and then a shining castle glittered from a mountain peak. Steep precipices arose before him, somber cliffs split into dangerous ravines. The path upward was rugged and perilous. Cruelly the sun beat upon the bare, treeless mountain. Spurred by a fresh hope, a freshened faith, the knight struggled through the twilight and the peril of the ravines. He breasted the cliffs and stumbled fearlessly up the precipitous path, and carelessly he suffered the searing of the sun. The castle gained, once more he entered, unwelcomed, unprevented. Everywhere the knight turned was a revelation of thought in art. There were wonderful, beautiful statues. Some were just begun, roughly hewn blocks of marble, the birth of fine thought, the embryo of exalted emotion. They were ideas nobly conceived, but unfinished, unexpressed. And there were some perfected, Statues of fine feeling and splendid action, of repose and uplifting thought, silently expressing the highest and the best. Statues breathing of realized dreams. Wonderful statues, indeed. Marvelous paintings hung upon the walls and frescoed the ceilings. Like the statues, some were just an outline, and others completed, fully developed ideas. Landscapes there were, soft and sunny, of mead and wold, or dark with storm and peril, landscapes of all light and shadow, of all celestial beauty and all terrestrial fervency. There were scenes from all life and all dreamland. Frescoes and paintings were alike beautiful and inspiring. Heavenly symphonies drifted in ecstasies of sound from unseen galleries. Voices of divine sweetness thrilled through the castle, and lyre and harp Viol and flute, each vibrated a part of a dream, a dream of melody and bird notes. Myriad harmonies winged on the strings of music, as snowflakes floating through the air, as bubbles bursting in a brook, as stars beaming one by one. So every note wafted from the unseen worlds and swelled the chorus of music and sound. T'was a wondrous, 
melodious castle. The mystery of the spirit world dwelt in the castle of art, the mystery of dreams. Sir Love gazed around him as if spellbound. It was a strange castle. The walls were bare, except for the paintings. The floors were uncovered, but for the pedestals on which the statues stood. The atmosphere was fresh, but only the sweetness of the music permeated it. Mystic meanings lay hidden in all he saw. The mystery of work and design, of patience and perseverance, and the meaning was effort and pain. No smiling sylph made him stay. "'Twas lonely, lonely as the palace of luxury. "'The night wavered. "'He wavered long and uncertainly. "'But night drew on and weariness came with darkness. "'With a lingering backward gaze, "'the night slowly descended the mountain. "'A dream had entered the blood of the night.' A dream of noble ambition. The dream and the poison battled together. The indolent, sluggish poison of the palace of luxury. And Sir Love lagged in his journeyings. And in a fantasy, he saw the sparkling waters of the sapphire sea. Crestfallen with the results of his travels, the night proceeded through a cycle of chilly, misty days, days of gloom and uncertainty. And on a crimson morning arose a fair mosque, a mosque all ivory, flushing in the sunrise. Rare crystals gleamed from the cupola, like sparks of fire. Rare crystals glistened on the walls like tongues of flame. Fountains chanted ceaselessly in arbors of evergreen. Laurels waved forever by singing streams. A pure, sweet air abounded. Olive branches met over the path that led to the mystic mosque, but the path was paved with jagged rocks and bespattered with heart's blood. Daringly, Sir Love traversed the rough way. His feet bled and ached. But the mosque was magnificent. It burned in the sun, an eternal blaze of light. No hand beckoned to the night, no voice bade him enter. No one awaited him. Inside the mosque, the smell of ancient vellum pervaded every corner. Rolls of old parchment lay in piles upon the floor, covered with weird signs and symbols. Aged papyrus from far lands, scratched with hieroglyphics and stained with various colors, 
molded in rusty heaps. There were shelves on the walls which marshaled rows and rows of books. Hundreds, thousands of books. Books of all ages and no two volumes alike. A soft violet glow streamed through stained windows. Quiet and peaceful. Weird and wonderful presences. Not seen, but felt. Moved in this world of study and struggle. Of failure. Of glory. And despair. Nothing adorned the walls of the Mosque of Literature. Nothing but books. Marvelous books. Their contents had been melted in the crucible of the mind and transmuted into rare and beautiful and powerful thoughts. There were thoughts which streamed in melodious language, the grand music of the epic, the flute-like note of the sonnet, the love harmony of the lyric, the glorious symphony of all poetry. It was the mystic mosque of literature, of poetry. It was a burning fire of eternal thought. Sir Love sat for long, enchanted hours. The spell of the mosque was upon him, but he was battling with the poison and the dream. The poison conquered. Palace, castle, mosque, they stood alone. No kind eyes looked sympathy into his. And there was struggle and pain and failure in all three. And the knight sorely retraced his steps from the ivory mosque. Heroically, Sir Love started on a pilgrimage. Faith and hope were growing weary. A doubt lingered indolently in the knight's thoughts. The thing called self had haunted him on his travels. In the palace of luxury, it had absorbed the poisoned, sweet-distilling incense. And yet withal, the dream floated in a serene air. Dimly glowed the vision of the sapphire sea, and the knight stumbled on. Footsore he endured his desolate way. One evening, as the sun drifted downward to sunset, Sir Love beheld a temple. It was a temple of precious stones and lilies, all roseate in the setting sun. Columns of sapphires, so blue as the sapphire sea, supported the jasper roof. Columns carved with cupids and twining with blossoms and leaves. The walls were of lustrous pink topaz, and set in their niches reposed statues of snowiest marble, statues of the muses. In front of this transparent temple, on a pedestal of emerald, the goddess Venus, with arms outheld, 
gazed a wondrous, unfathomable welcome to all wayfarers. Lilies resplendent surrounded the temple, lilies so pure as starlight. Sir Love was lost in awe of its splendor. The path to the Temple of Love was an easy one, but difficult to find. The knight caught a glimpse of it as the rays of the setting sun christened its well-worn way. A cross of pearls stood on a mound, amid thistles and briars, pointing out the path. In the center of the pearls gleamed the fire of a blood-red ruby. The Temple of Love was set in a boundless park. Lawns of velvety green spread away beneath grand old trees of oak and pine. In mossy hollows glanced patches of purple pansies and azure forget-me-nots. Marble terraces overlooked purling brooks. Brooks bubbling on to the sapphire sea and the sea of eternity. Roses and violets wove garlands around their balustrades like hues of dawn among the purple clouds. Arbors of wisteria and eglantine wistfully invited the pilgrim to rest. All the flowers blossomed forever in the gardens of the Temple of Love. The woodlands were brilliant with the golden mimosa, the pink azalea, the purple lilac, and all their sisters of the blossoming world. Fountains flashed in the sunshine, scattering their opalescent drops into crystal basins, or tossing them into the cups of flowers and among the tall grasses, where they laughed back to the sun. Narcissus, iris, and daffodils nodded by foaming falls. Lakelets shadowed the trees and the sky, a mosaic of blue and green, weaving a variable lacework of fluttering leaves as the wind swept the water into ripples. The songs of birds and the music of the winds stole among the sylvan shades. They wafted melodies in at the temple doors. In the groves were heard the lucid notes of harp and lyre and lute. Symphonies strayed through the woodlands like nymphs of sound. And all this sacred spot was music, beauty, and happiness. Sir Love lay long and indolently in the groves, lazily breathing the fragrance of the flowers. Everywhere thrilled a wonderful life. Surely this dream would end in peace. Disappointment had dogged his footsteps. Faith had dozed and hope had fallen asleep in the palace of luxury and the poison had sapped his strength. For many days he had almost forgotten the sapphire sea, the dark maiden and the enchanter who had given him life. But slowly, memory revived it all 
in these sylvan scenes. He would visit the temple, and then return to the sapphire sea. When rest had restored the wearied night, the indolent Sir Love, he arose and sadly sought the temple of love. In the temple stood a shrine. It was a shrine of pure white marble with a name, a sweet name, a mystic name, inlaid in gold. On it rested a perfect heart of pearls, in the midst of which faintly glowed a blood-red ruby, ivy twined around the altar. The air was fragrant with lilies and narcissus and hyacinths. Sunlight forever shone through the stained windows. It shed the varied hues of the colored glass on pillar, fresco, and mosaic, for the walls were frescoed with dreams and floor mosaicked in strange symbols and visions, and the temple of love became sweeter and fresher with the flowers as the years wended on to eternity. There by the shrine stood the maiden, dark as night, with eyes like the azure of heaven and a brow like snowflakes. There was she, in snowiest robes with her golden sword. And there she demanded of Sir Love, What hast thou done with thy knighthood? Thy gift? And what dost thou here? I am weary, sighed the knight. I sought luxury and fame, but suffering and despair and loneliness greeted me in great palaces, and in wonderful castles, and in splendid mosques. I am weary now. I would love. The maiden bent her eyes, blue and mystic, upon the shrine, upon the heart of pearls, upon the blood-red ruby. Too late, too late. She sighed. Too late! wildly cried the knight. Where is my enchanter? Why called he to me? And out of the sapphire sea? The enchanter appeared, and he made answer. I called thee, from the sapphire sea, to live. Thou didst choose death. But... Love! Love! What of love? demanded the knight, trembling, angered. And the enchanter made answer again. Too late. I would I had left thee nothing, a soulless bubble. Thou hast learned too late. Too late. End of section 7 Read by The Story Girl